Hey everybody, it's Movie Geeks United. Tonight we will be discussing the April Blu-ray, 4K, etc., etc. releases. I'm Jamie, and I'm here with Adam, our Blu-ray guru. Hello everybody, welcome back. <laughs> Go ahead, sing the Welcome Back Cotter theme. Come on. Welcome back. All right, that's enough. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just saw the new Oppenheimer uh, trailer. It leaked, I guess. I have not seen that. What uh, is your take on it? Oh, it looks like it could be good. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm not a huge champion of Christopher Nolan, but it looks like it's good. Mm-hmm. And I guess the big question is, will you be able to hear any of the uh, dialogue? In the trailer, you could. <laughs> I don't recall. Did did Bane speak in the trailer for Dark Knight Rises, and uh, could you hear him or understand? I him? think I believe that was a criticism. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, in I the think trailer. Some, yeah, I think it was kind of muffled, and there were people complaining. So I, I think I do. Uh, I do remember. Time. I do remember going to see the like a special screening of that opening uh-huh. scene, and it was mystifying. I was like, yeah. huh? What? What's going on? <laughs> am yeah. I missing? Like, am I not supposed to understand anything he says? Because that could be its own form of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, if you know you're you're face to face with a villain and you can't understand a word they're saying. Yeah, they could be complimenting you. You never know. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> don't know if there's danger or a threat there or what. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. So. Yeah, that'd be funny. I, I, that'd be funny if you could hear anything, he understand anything he said, and then at the end he was just a misunderstood guy, like he wasn't actually a villain. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, I was trying to give you a compliment, and all you did was beat beat me to a pulp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that would be an interesting take. Yeah, well, uh, I, well, what do you think about the uh, continued? Uh, Box office bonanza that is Super Mario Brothers. Wow, people yeah. lining up for that one. I mean, I under, it's not my, it's not a movie for me, but I understand it's good that for what it is. And man, that thing is uh, really that's is that a billion worldwide already? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's past it at this point. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the legs that this film has. And I said, well, here we are, thirty years later. I remember sitting in a theater and. Oh, way back in 1993 and seeing the trailers for the Super Mario Brothers live action film. And I thought, boy, that looks like a piece of crap. Oh, and is that the it, Liguizamo, the Bob Hoskins yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so I said, there's no way on earth I'd go see that. And so I skipped it and it failed miserably. Yeah, no one went to see that one. Yeah. yeah. And here we are 30 years later and an animated version of basically the same story is the biggest box office phenomenon in the entire year. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it needs. I think it needs to be animated, probably yeah, for sure. kids. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know the audiences anymore. I don't know. Are are, are, are like grown people seeing this without children? <laughs> I would well, imagine for this kind of gross, probably. Well, probably, yeah. There's some of that, and I'm amazed. Uh, just talking to somebody, just a random coworker of mine who is in her early twenties. She never goes to the movies. Not a movie person. You know, because this is a generation that's, you know, TikTok, show it to me in 60 seconds or I don't give a damn. 
and she's one of that generation, and yet she's telling me, yeah, I went to the movies. And I said, let me guess, Super Mario Brothers. And she said, yeah, I took my kid sister to it, and we had a good time. So, And it's the only movie I think she's seen probably in the last year and a half that I've heard her talk about. So, well, maybe she went. I think she did go see Top Gun Maverick, I believe. But, you know, but, uh, yeah, she was there for it, and, and she's about a good 30 years younger than me. So I'm thinking... You know, it's that generation, uh, just based on the testimony of one person there. I think that has is very telling because I know this person's not a movie, you know, fan like I am. Yeah. So knowing that they went, I'm thinking, how many more people are there like her that that went as well? Who like wouldn't Super ordinarily Mario go? Super Mario Brothers movie is the motivation to get them to the theater. That's mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. Sadly. I don't know. I mean, I understand it's a good movie, and some. In the philosophy of some, a good movie, no, it doesn't matter what the subject or, you know, good on it for bringing in the people and making money. That's that's good. As, as long if you're gonna make a Super Mario Brothers, do it well, and apparently they did it well. So I'm I'm not gonna bad talk it. Well, I'm, I'm not either. I haven't seen it. I, I mean, there's other movies that I'll bad talk for, you know, and and bemoan <laughs> the fact that they're making ton of a ton of bank, but. Yeah. A two-hour and fifty-minute John Wick Four, like we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Or maybe that. Which maybe I just can't. I just can't imagine sitting through <laughs> that. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, the action in John Wick movies is balletic. You know. Yeah. I can't imagine sitting through a ballet for two hours and fifty minutes. <laughs> Even if people got shot in the ballet, I'm still not going to sit through that. Yeah, <clears> it's um. I know, and again, I might people. watch it in doses. I mean, when it when it comes out, when it's available, I'll I'll check out some of it and then I'll come back and watch. Because it's John Wick, it's not like you're going to miss the thread if you don't sit through the whole thing. It's not that kind of movie, I'm sure. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, and you know, <laughs> movies if they're extremely long, I don't see any problem with. I mean, you don't read a novel in one sitting, so why not? I mean, what, yeah. what the hell? Uh, yeah, so I I could possibly see myself doing that in small increments, but what is it with the buttonomathons that are going on? Bo's afraid two hours fifty nine minutes. Yeah. Uh, just uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three two hours and fifty minutes. Everywhere you turn, there's some sort of buttonomathon going on. It's an epidemic. Does anybody know how to tell a story in less than ninety minutes or less? I'm yeah. wondering. Brevity is the soul of is the Soul of wit is the saying, I think, but, you know, I don't know. Nobody knows anything about brevity. Anymore. I don't know. That seems like that saying is a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> Could you make so. that saying shorter? Yeah, make it shorter. Uh, and, and you know, so, some irony. some movies, look, some movies are an epic palette. Uh, yeah. You know, The Irishman, got no problem with it being three hours and whatever no it is. No problem. It's, yeah. it's telling a story over decades, and it's masterfully constructed as you would expect from any scorsese movie would agree uh but you know obviously stuff like john wick and people is too much but and people use the term um indulgent like that that's a kind of a lazy criticism of a lot of movies it's just so indulgent and um i i would equate indulgent with that with it's there's there's not much economy in the storytelling i wouldn't equate it with um 
you know, an artist is able to do whatever he wants. Because a lot of times that's that's what they're saying when they say indulgent. It's code for you you let this artist do whatever the hell he wanted, and this is what you get. But if it's obvious that a movie's too long, I mean, there's value in econ- economic storytelling, and that to me is probably indulgent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, you know, Ar- Ari Aster is one of the great artists today. I don't know about Bo is Afraid. Maybe it maybe it is indulgent and in that it could have been more economical. I, I I don't know. I haven't seen it. But uh, even if Bo is afraid is a artistic failure, um, I still it's not for lack of swinging for the fences. That's mm-hmm. what makes him an artist is he swings big. You know, um, he, his decisions are bold. And, you know, you're going to court failure anytime you do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think people were uh, ready. They were uh, they were sharpening their pencils to give him some bad press, I think, uh, to use an antiquated term. And plus uh, the movies, I can yeah. imagine the movies probably impenetrable for a lot of people. Sure. And again, yeah. I haven't seen it. It might be impenetrable f- for me. And by the way, those of you playing the home game, impenetrable is the word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I do find it a, a, cruel, a cool irony here that uh, so many of these uh, the young generation love 60-second videos, but yet they got no problem going to a two-hour and 50-minute John Wick film. So there, there's an irony there somewhere that... Uh, the converse uh, works, you know. too. The people yeah. that, oh, God, I'm not going to sit through a three-hour movie, and then they binge eight hours of some series. You know? <laughs> yes. It's true. So yeah, isn't isn't it funny how that sort of thing works? Well, but yeah, it, I have no doubt the Killers of the Flower Moon probably needs its running time. I think so. Yeah, but it's I, I it is it is weird because there's it's like a running time watch now that a lot of sites have. Like they'll post multiple articles. Oh, it's two forty five. Oh, it's three fifteen. Oh, it's down to two fifty six. Like who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's my attitude. Like, who gives a shit? You're talking about Scorsese here. Because they've been posting about the running time of Killers of the Flower Moon forever. It's like you're... It's like hospice waiting for someone to die. Like, counting the seconds or something. Yeah. They're like, oh, now it's now it's down to this stage. And now... Like, uh, right now on World of Real. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Part 1. Snipped down to two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Which I don't mind that. if it Because it, I've been enormously entertained by all the Mission Impossibles. I don't think any of them are bad. No, some are better than others, but yeah, yeah I, I would agree. But it's a, for a franchise, it's got a great track record, and then it continues to thrill people. Yeah, durability is the key word here. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't think that I don't think that it's a character movie. I I, I, I I always just come away with the action sequences, but at least there's scenes in between the action sequences to, yeah. to that allow you to catch your breath. Yeah, and some semblance of a plot. If it's just two hours and fifty minutes of 
incessant gunfire. I'm sorry, I'm going to be asleep within 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, which is the problem I have with John Wick. I, I, you know, the first John Wick film for me was fairly engaging. You know, not bad of its type. I've seen worse. I've seen better. Thought it was okay. And the second one was just, that's what it was. It was incessant gunfire for the entire running time of the movie. And I was so bored. I had no emotional stakes at all. I didn't care what happened to anybody in there. Mm. And I said, this is just not for me. I, I know there are people who love this, but it's just not for me. I got to have a little bit more than this. So, yeah. Know. Yeah. But, the, but yeah, I like the, I like the, the ambitions of the mission impossible to, to, to awe people. Yeah. And, uh, to awe people in a way that, you know, it's not an effect. It's not yeah. something made in a computer. It might be punched up in a computer. You know, it might be seasoned a little bit and made a little punchier, but no, these are really people jumping out of airplanes and hanging off of cliffs and all that stuff. I like that. You know, but and then yeah. there's, but I can't say that it's about character. I, I I don't, I don't think Ethan Hunt's much of a character. He's just a conduit to to doing all these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. But yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there for the oh, yeah. next Mission Impossible. And and it is those. I will say this for Tom Cruise: his movies are designed to be seen in a theater, large auditorium, sure, with all the bells and whistles. I mean, it's not. It does lose something at home. I mean, you can watch them at home, but you know, like Top Gun Maverick was was certainly a big screen experience that uh, mm-hmm. I did enjoy, even though it you know it's not something I'll ever return to. Once was enough, but. Uh, it was certainly enjoyable for what it was, and seeing it in a the theater was a great experience, I must admit. So I was watching, um, I don't know how, I started watching interviews with Emilio Estevez and Martin Sheen when they were promoting their movie The Way years ago. Oh, yeah. And they went out on the road with it and um, went to like dozens of cities and universities and Christian colleges and all that kind of stuff to show the movie. And... Uh, you know, Emilio, Emilio was like, I'm never making a movie again where I have to kill somebody. I d- I've done that enough, and I don't see the value in it anymore. And I was like, good on him. Like, mm-hmm. You know, that's in- that's in- interesting. Yeah, absolutely. How much, yeah. you know, and it's an interesting question. Like, if if more people felt that way and followed that track, to what extent do we tell the movies what we want to see? And to what extent do the movies tell us what we want to see? Like, if all of a sudden there are m- many fewer movies of people getting killed, would people have less of a desire to see that? Yep, that's a good point. I don't know. All you psychology majors out there, give, give <laughs> us, shoot us an email. Let us know. <laughs> we need all the help we can get here. There's there's a lesson to be learned there somewhere. I mean, keep in mind, I, I don't socialize. I don't talk to anybody, so I, I don't. I don't <laughs> understand psychology at all. And then Guardians yeah, of the Galaxy underperformed at 114 million. I knew it was going to because I I just was uh, driving past several theaters that are in my neighborhood, and I was noticing that what the kind of crowds I would expect for one of these types of films, uh, there was the parking lot was. It wasn't empty, but it wasn't what you would expect. And I thought, yeah, this movie's not doing just based on what I'm seeing. This is a good arbiter of 
you know, because usually in my neighborhood when the parking lots are overflowing, that's usually a, a teller of the tale, and I was not seeing that. So I thought, yeah, this is, so I think they're going to get a little egg on their face with this one. At $114 million. Yeah, I know. That's crazy, right? Remember when the biggest movie of all time opened to $77 million? Yes. In Avatar? Yes. yes, I do. Yeah. But, you know, it's the inflated advertising <laughs> budgets and, uh, you know, all that. That's that's where this is, you know, it, it is it has become a thing, you know, and so yeah. they have to recoup the you know have to try to recoup a certain amount of that money and um you know but that and i do think too that that's the fact that they i think there's a certain level of greediness as well that coupled along with them spending so much but there is a certain level of greed they want to make a billion dollars in a weekend and uh you know that's so there's that too but yeah i mean i was kind of lukewarm on the first two Guardians of the Galaxy films. I know that's kind of I'm somewhat in the minority. I didn't hate them, didn't love them. Uh, so, and when I saw this one was two and a half hours, I thought, I, and I heard that they're torturing uh, the raccoon character. They show his backstory where he's tortured, and uh, I thought, no, I don't need to see that. I, oh, I just God, that's I what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for that yeah, backstory. Right. Yeah, and they said it's a feel-bad movie. Huh. I've heard that. that it is, it's not a... The other two had kind of a whimsical tone to them i mean there was some serious undercurrents but mostly whimsical and a lot of laughs and they said this one takes a really dark turn is what i'm hearing and i thought nah i just uh, nah, i don't think so so i'll pass Life yeah. going just audiences fine. love it though it's got yeah a, i guess it's so. got a high cinema score it's got like an a grade cinema mm-hmm. score well if, if that's your thing you know who's to say who's right and who's wrong i'm sure uh yeah, would have I typically to. don't care. I mean, I'll follow how much something makes just to know what yeah. what people out there are watching. But typically, I'm just it doesn't make any difference to me. Same here. Yeah, and I'm sure people would quiz my would question my tastes as well. So it's fine. It's all good. We can agree to disagree, or or I can just say I'm okay with saying that's not for me. And I say that to a lot of people. They'll say, yeah. "Are you going to see such and such?" And I'll say. I'm sure it may. It's well made. I'm sure it's technically fine. It's just not for me. It has no bearing on the quality of the film. It's just not for me. It's like I read stuff coming out of CinemaCon. I love these people that are like uh, <clears throat> uh, want to be critics or something, and yet they have no uh, individual points of view or perception. That uh, oh yeah, you know, it's interesting. The worst. So they, I guess, they saw the Barbie stuff. Uh, presentation for Barbie and the trailer and everything, and they they wrote something like, uh, "Who is this? Uh, who is this movie for?" And uh, <laughs> I'm like, what, "Why? Why would you bother with that? Like, watch it. Is it for you? Did you like it? What? What? what why are you concerned with who it, who it was made for? Maybe it's made right. for human beings that sit in the theater and watch a movie." The they enjoy mm-hmm. maybe they're different demographic or human beings i don't know <laughs> well yeah i think you're, yeah you're on to something i think we've reached a point where it, it, it's it's kind of like um uh people say you know i have an opinion and therefore it should be your opinion it's not like well you have an opinion i have an opinion 
no, my opinion should be your opinion as well. Yeah. If I don't like it, therefore you shouldn't like it. But it's th- plus, that's it's, where I have a problem. They've been, they've been hearing it and they think it has some kind of relevance. I mean, it might. Yeah. And so they just repeat it because it makes them s- s- feel like they're part of that critical community or something. But mm-hmm. that's that's stuff that people in a fucking boardroom figure out. Like yeah. who's it for? What are we putting money? Who are we marketing it to? What what difference should that make to you? What difference should it make to you how much they spent on a movie? Or how That's little, true. or how little a movie makes. Yeah, it, it, the the ultimate arbiter should be: is it any good? Is it worth exactly. seeing? Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah for sure. Yeah, this, that's this annoying. Concludes, and, you know, this concludes. I'm a <laughs> I'm a stodgy old man portion of our show. The, uh, the get off my lawn portion of the show. <laughs> You can get the uh, the meme of the man shouting at the clouds and put yeah. that in as a, get a get a screenshot of that and put that on our uh, when we post this show. So. I'm gonna open up a soda. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, you hear that? You hear that? Yes. Okay. It's all over now. You see anything? Oh, can should be starting soon, right? Yeah, coming right along. Um, is that next week uh, or when is that? The new Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Todd Haynes. Like a ton of stories will come out of Cannes. It'll be good. Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Um, exciting. It looks like uh, May 16th through the 27th is what I'm getting. Okay. I was able to just get that right quick. So, yeah, we're, it's... it's uh, I saw the uh, saw the first three episodes of that new Fatal Attraction TV series. Oh yeah, I'm hearing mixed things. Some people say it's okay, and some people say it's just abominable. So I, I would be curious to know what you think about it. I like Lizzie Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we interviewed her uh, opening weekend of Cloverfield. It was like the Sunday that Co- Cloverfield opened, and it was the number one movie in the country and. So we interviewed her the weekend her life changed essentially. Oh, um, amazing! But I've always liked her. I liked. Uh, I really liked her in that show, Masters of Sex, and I think she's done some good work. So she's fine. She's good. As Alex Forster, Joshua Jackson mm-hmm. is a big zero. I mean, he doesn't. He's a big nothing. Huh. <laughs> he has no force of personality at all. Interesting. Yeah, I I read uh, one of my one of my peeps on social media was uh, giving their take on it. They really didn't like it. It's somebody whose opinion I generally hold in pretty high esteem. So yeah. I, I was wondering. Um, yeah. Well, and it's you, to kind of make you, it's kind of to 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 a more empathetic portrait of Alex mm-hmm. for these times, and it's something like Glenn Close always longed for. But I yeah. think you get it. I mean, I think you get that she's damaged in the movie, and uh, yeah. you you can imagine what might have the elements that might have brought her there, even though the movie's not explicit about them. No, if that's the beauty of the way things used to be. You could get all that in in less than two hours, and get what you needed without all the fat that we have now. So everything has to be a just a, a story that goes on and on and on and get all this excessive stuff that we don't really care about or need. And 
there's a lot of that going on. I'm not saying that's the case with this. Haven't seen it, but there is a lot of that going around. And did you ultimately like Dead Ringers? I know you were watching that. I haven't gotten around to that yet. Yeah, that really that, talk about swinging for the fences. That really did. It's not something. I mean, it's a show of vision for sure. Mm-hmm. Which is unique enough. Uh, I mean, real cinematic vision, you know. Yeah. So it's worthwhile I, watching just for the sensation of it. Yeah, it's on the to-do list. Uh, just haven't gotten there yet. I about the only two things I've seen in the last couple of weeks that are new. I saw. Um, well, I did see the. Uh, the, the I, we may have talked about this in the last show. Can't remember the, uh, the Brooke Shields documentary was pretty good. Uh-huh. I did see that. Uh, that was quite good. And I saw the Judy Bloom documentary, the uh, Forever. That was quite moving too. Uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that. Uh, did not know what to expect from that, but it was getting good word of mouth, and I thought, eh. And uh, it, you know, it it gets better as it goes on, and it's it's genuinely moving. Uh, I was uh, quite taken with that. So, so, nice. and then I did go to the movies. I trekked to the movies and saw Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Just because it was getting, again, positive word of mouth, and I was kind of underwhelmed by it. I. Um, I felt like the first half of it had a lot of sitcom style humor that just didn't gel with me, but it, uh, during the final act, it did manage to create some, some tension and, and a little bit of a, uh, dramatic arc at the end of the film that, that did kind of pique my interest. And so it's a mixed bag. Uh, I don't think it's as great as they say it is, but it's, 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 it definitely could do wor- could do worse. So uh, I guess I was on a Judy Bloom kick. Yeah. Can I tell you with those two? But uh, yeah, I, I never read the, her uh, as a kid. Yeah, I. Well, my fourth grade teacher, uh, she read to us uh, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, and that was one of my uh, that was my first introduction to her. And I thought at, at the age of nine, when she read that to us, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, I mm-hmm. I laughed and laughed and laughed, and maybe that book even had some. Uh, responsibility in uh, uh, de- helping to develop my sense of humor. I mean, it was just, it was, I thought it was funny. Now, I don't know how I would feel about it now, but yeah. then I read, as I got older, her, one of her adult novels, Summer Sisters, and that was pretty good too. And, uh, but she's, uh, the documentary is interesting because of the personal correspondence that she had with her fans. Mm-hmm. And she has every letter that was sent to her over the years. There's like boxes and boxes, and she has maintained friendships with some of these fans for wow. uh, as much as 50 years. I know and, I know she's a important writer. Yeah. I mean, I'm not degrading her when I say, oh, I've never read sure, her. I've yeah. never read that shit. You so, just never got around to yeah. it. Yeah. But I, I typically, yeah. uh, I never read child stories or mm-hmm. fiction and I remember being on Jason's show years ago, and they were talking about the Muppets. And I, mm-hmm. I was like, I've never seen the Muppets. And uh, <laughs> one of the people on the panel was like, that explains a lot about you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, did, I was, I was looking at adult, uh, well, not, you know, not X-rated, but I did watch cartoons when I was little. I mean, I remember coming mm-hmm. home from elementary school and putting on Scooby-Doo and all that stuff, so. I wasn't yeah. totally void of it. I didn't. I didn't start watching R-rated movies until I was a good ten years of age. So there's a little bit of childhood <laughs> in there. 
Well, my dad was a big fan of the Muppets, and uh, obviously it was in syndication when I was growing up, so because uh, no network would take it because uh, they all thought it was going to tank, and so they syndicated it to local stations, and it became a huge hit that way. Of course, in, in our area, the CBS affiliate carried it, I think, at uh, 7.30 on Tuesday nights, and my dad would come home, and uh, he watched it every week, and so I was, you know, I was there, and so I I, I took it in as well, and I have to admit, there were some good guest stars on there. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. I, I look back on it fondly. Peter Sellers, and of course, the Elton John, where he sings Crocodile Rock with the Muppets, and there was a lot of good stuff that, and some people that my dad was very fond of, like Teresa Brewer was a, uh, a, a female pop star in the 50s that my dad was a huge fan of, and nobody remembers her, I'm sure, at this point, but uh, I remember Jim Henson mentioning being a fan of Teresa Brewer, and so he had her on there. Mm. Even in the 70s, she was probably forgotten, but she was on. She was a guest star with one of the Muppet, uh, on the, one of the Muppets episodes, and I just remember my dad's delight, knowing that his one of his favorite performers from the 50s as a child growing up was the guest on the Muppet Show. So mm. it, was, uh, it was fun. So yeah, I kind of grew up with it. And the original Muppet movie is a good movie. It's it's very well done. I think uh, those songs by Paul Williams are beautiful and. Well done, and Rainbow Connection, I don't, you know, what can you say? Oh, yeah, it's so, beautiful. I told you the story about stuff. my dad listening to Rainbow Connection, right? No, I don't think so. It's a beautiful song. I've always loved it. But mm-hmm. So I used to give my dad CDs to play in the car when he's driving around, and one of them was a, a kid's album that Willie Nelson recorded. It's actually a really good album. I know the album, yeah. Yeah, he's got all these cool children's songs. I'm looking Mm -hmm. over for leaf clover. Yeah, it's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes me feel a little like a pervert when I was driving around my car listening to it. I'm like, let's do children's (laughs) music. (laughs) But uh, anyway, I love Willie. But uh, his first song on the album is uh, The Rainbow Connection. Mm -hmm. Apparently, my dad had never heard of it before. Because wow. I guess he was playing at the car, and, and uh, a couple of days later he was like, "Yeah, I listened to that Willie Nelson song. I really like that song about him getting high." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about the Rainbow Connection. <laughs> oh my, that's great, uh, man. Oh, uh, that is God. Great. All right, let's get to Blu-rays. Yeah. What are we? April what? Blu-rays. Yeah, let's get to it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and knock out all the keynotes right off the bat, and we'll just go ahead and get those done because there's so many of them. And so uh, we'll start with the uh, the film noir, The Dark Side of Cinema. I think this is 12, volume 12. This includes um, actually one of the films in this set is a William Castle film called Undertow from 1949 and starring Scott Brady, uh, who was the, uh, the brother of Lawrence Tierney of uh, Reservoir Dogs fame. Uh, anyway, um, what he, you also did have he pour al- water all over people in the theater when he played this, or <laughs> yeah, and urinate in a popcorn bucket? Uh, yeah. Jeez, <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, he's there's a there's a new book out on Lawrence Tierney, by the way, and uh, I, I, they interviewed the guy who uh, wrote that. Uh, he's on the uh, Dana Gould podcast. Oh my gosh, that guy. <laughs> Oh man, I can't wait to. I got to get that book. I got. I, I can't wait to read that because he was telling all these Lawrence Tierney stories, and it's like, whoa. Mm. <laughs> he was a rounder. Let's just say that. Um, 
There's even the story where he came to uh, blows on the set of uh, Reservoir Dogs with Quentin Tarantino. They actually came to fisticuffs uh, because he Tarantino grabbed it. He was he was getting ready to walk off, and Tarantino grabbed his arm, and he took that as a uh, you know in the mm. wrong way, and so he took a swing, and they, <laughs> and they basically had to had to beg him to come back so they could finish the film. The film Good was Lord. all was not going to get finished. <laughs> it was that kind. Of, it's it's crazy, man. He's crazy. But uh, yeah, they showed. They said that he came over to the Arrow Theater. There was a uh, screening of one of the, the one of the films he made with Robert Wise, and Robert Wise was there in the late '90s, and he was the uh, doing the Q and A thing that they do. And Tierney just showed up, and he's sitting in the back, and that's where he urinated in the popcorn bucket. Uh, while oh really? Robert okay. Wise was, All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and he was screaming obscenities at Robert Wise from the back. <laughs> Good lord. Oh, it's it's amazing the stuff this guy was telling. So I said, oh man, I got to get this book. So anyway, but anyway, his brother was Scott Brady, and he's in a lot of stuff, including this movie Undertow, and he's also in Gremlins. Actually, uh, he turns up in that. Um, you, I didn't, I did not know they were brothers though. I had no idea. But anyway, uh, Outside the Wall with Richard Basehart is another one of the films in this uh, set, and uh, Hold Back Tomorrow is another one, and this uh, actually has an audio commentary by uh, for Undertow by Scott Brady's son, Tim Tierney. How about that? So he did retain the name huh. Tierney. Uh, uh, so there you go. Uh, Jim McBride's 1987 film, The Big Easy, has been issued by Kino in a Blu-ray format. I'd never seen this, actually. I remember uh, Roger Ebert was quite fond of it, and so I did watch it, and I thought it was pretty good, actually, I have to admit. I have not seen it since its opening day. I went to see it on the opening day in 87 or whatever year it was. Mm -hmm. August of 87, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quaid's good. Ellen Barkin, you know, she's a a DA that's investigating uh, corruption in the police department and has an affair with one of her people she's investigating, you know. Is he Goodman in that too, John Goodman? Yes, he he is. Okay. Yeah, you've got him. You've got Ned Beatty in there. I think is the uh, yeah he's he's one of the uh, the uh, wants to do the right thing but can't can't quite force himself to do it <laughs> what he knows he should be doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's a script by Daniel Petrie Jr. and um, you know like I said, Jim McBride directs uh, audio commentary here by Jim McBride, moderated by filmmaker Douglas Hostel. So anyway, uh, there you go. Moving along, Tyrone Power is in uh, stars along with Piper Laurie and Mississippi Lee, Mississippi Gambler from 1953. And it's a high-stakes game for love and money in this Technicolor adventure. You get uh, new commentary by film historian Toby Roan and a trailer. And you, uh, we have the, they came to Cordura, which is a western starring Gary Cooper and. Um, Rita Hayworth also in this one, Van Heflin, Tab Hunter from 1959. And you get a, uh introduction by filmmaker and film historian Bertrand Tavernier. And so, uh, and a trailer there as well. Uh, Hell is for Heroes, Steve McQueen and Bobby Darren and Fess Parker starring in this one. Uh, this is directed by the great Don Siegel. It's one of the, the films from Siegel's catalog I had not seen. Pretty good for its type. It's a it's a World War II battle film, I guess you would say. But uh, you know, it's nice to see Steve McQueen and Bobby Darren paired together. I 
always enjoyed both of them on screen, obviously, and it's good to see them in a film together. Um, it uh, has a uh, new audio commentary by Steve Mitchell and Combat Films American Realism author Stephen J. Rubin and the trailer. And we have the 1965 film The Truth About Spring, starring Haley Mills, John Mills, and James MacArthur. And this is uh, uh, the father and daughter John and Haley Mills are headlining this swashbuckling romp. It um, has a new audio commentary by Gary Girani and the trailer as well. And we have Gene Seberg and Honor Blackman in Moment to Moment, which is a uh, mysterious, it's a murder mystery set in the uh, French Riviera, directed by Mervyn Leroy. And you get a new commentary by Howard S. Berger and Nathaniel Thompson. Man on the Train, starring Gene Rochefort and Johnny Halliday. That's from 2002. No extras on this, just a trailer. Uh, Search for Beauty from 1934. And that, um, starring Ida Lupino and Buster Crabbe and Robert Armstrong. And, um, you got a commentary here by Lee Gambin and Emma Westwood. And Serpico making its 4K debut for the first time ever. 4K Ultra HD. It's a uh, two-disc set, actually. You get the Blu-ray on one disc. You get the uh, 4K disc on the other. And there's a documentary here. A new one? There's a new... Yeah. yeah, They appear to be, I don't know um, for sure, Sydney Lumet, uh, Sinise, New York is a 28-minute featurette. And there's a Looking for Al Pacino featurette that's 29 minutes. You have Serpico Reel to Reel, the featurette, uh, it's 10 minutes. Inside Serpico, about 13 minutes. And um, you get a uh, photo gallery with the commentary by uh, Sidney Lumet. And you get a new commentary with Howard S. Berger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson. I, you know, this has been issued in 4K overseas by Studio Canal, so maybe some of these extras turned up on that one. I don't recall these being on the Paramount release in America this is a film that did not get a Blu-ray release, so it jumped from DVD all the way to 4K without a stop in between. Good. I, I know I also the might... Studio Canal yeah. or whatever uh, overseas, they did Three Days of the Condor. Is is, yeah. that, yes. is that in planning for a U.S. release yet? I think it is, yeah. yeah there has been some talk about that. I think uh, maybe Kino, they didn't give a specific date, but I think they did tweet that, that that's forthcoming. So, yeah. Um, 12 Angry Men is another Kino release, the uh, classic film, obviously, starring Henry Fonda and Lee J. Cobb, E.G. Marshall, Jack Warden, Martin Balsam, Ed Begley, Robert Weber, Jack Pugman. Uh, and this has a, a new 4K scan, um, and it's in 4K, first time ever. And you've got some, uh, there's a documentary here, The Making of... 12 Angry Men, and you have the 1997 film directed by William Freakin and starring Jack Lemmon. Uh, that is here as well as a bonus on a second disc. So, uh. Ah, it's Sidney Lumet month. Yeah, I would say so. I yeah. remember that when we. I, I tried so desperately to get Sidney Lumet on the show. It's God, I loved him. I loved him. Oh, me too. And I still love listening to him talk about. You know, anyone that's truly interested in movies and film directing, watch this Sidney Lumet documentary. I guess it's just called By Sidney Lumet. I think it is, yeah. It's yeah. great. Or, or any interviews on YouTube, because no one was more articulate about the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's was always such a joy to listen to him. But when we were doing that tribute show, 
one of the people that called in was uh, Column Column Fior. He was an actor that he's in a ton of movies, but the, the Lumet project he did was the uh, uh, Night Falls in Manhattan. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Where, where, <laughs> I think this is unique in the history of the show. He called us from a payphone. He was like, yeah, I'm at this ceremony in Canada, and I had to break away, and I'm at a payphone. So I'm like, are you putting quarters in as you're talking? And we talked to him for like 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> that was very thoughtful for him to take, take oh. you know, that kind of effort. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can just visualize him feeding coins. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Um High, Wide, and Handsome, 1937. That's Irene Dunn. Uh, um, yeah, it's Oscar ha- Oscar Hammerstein. I think it's a, maybe a musical uh, comedy. Uh, yeah, Randolph Scott co-starring in this. Uh, new commentary with uh, Eddie Von Mueller for this film. And we have You and Me starring Sylvia Sidney and George Raft from 1938. And it's... Um, one of the uh, the first Hollywood films directed by Fritz Lang. It's a romantic comedy, and it's uh, there's new audio commentary here by uh, film critic and author Simon Abrams. And we have Rio from 1939, and that stars uh, Robert Cummings, and uh, that's um, um from director John Brom. And uh, I think it also has, uh, yeah, has Basil, uh, Basil Rathbone in this as well. New commentary by Sam Deegan on this. Lady in a Jam, Irene Dunn from 1942, also starring Ralph Bellamy and Irene, uh, along with Irene Dunn, as I mentioned. And, and that's actually um, about a lady that falls in a vat of jam, right? <laughs> doesn't mean she's in it's trouble. Screwball <laughs> comedy, so it could be. I don't know. Uh, this has a commentary by Alan Arkush, believe it or not, and uh, film historian Daniel Creamer. The 1976 uh, disaster spoof, the first of its type, The Big Bus, about a nuclear-powered bus um, that's uh, making a journey from New York to Denver. And you have an interesting cast here. You have uh, Joseph Bologna, uh, Stockton Channing, John Beck, Ned Beatty, Jose Ferrar, Ruth Gordon, Harold Gould, Larry Hagman, Sally Kellerman. Lynn Redgrave and Richard Mulligan. Mm. It's a hit and miss film. It's, uh, you know, it has its moments. And speaking of, um, uh, the Muppet movie, this is the same director, James Frawley, who also directed the, uh, the Monkeys film, Head. Uh, he directs this, uh, and it has a new commentary by Howard Berger and Nathaniel Thompson. Like I said, I, I have seen it. There are some laughs in it. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not the worst thing. I wonder thing. if it's, anyone's it's ever no entered. Introduced him as the man who gave us head. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Oh yes. Well. Anyway, uh, guilty pleasure for you, maybe I don't know. <laughs> this next one, Heat with Burt Reynolds. What was your? I never did see that. I can't remember Heat with the Burt Reynolds one. Uh, yeah, Peter McNichol and Howard Hessman, Diana oh. Scarwood. Yeah, I mean, I know, I can see the box, the video box in my head. I don't remember. I'm sure I've seen it. What's mm-hmm. the one? He directed it. It starts in Miami or something. That might it's, be Heat, um, or that might be Stick. 
Stick. Stick yeah. is the one you think talking yeah. about. That's the all one those, that has all those kind Robinson. Of, yeah, all those run together for me. They do, yes. This is the that's the one with Dar Robinson where he has the free fall and you see him going right. you know, the camera doesn't right. cut as he goes backwards out the window. Yeah, that's amazing. That's an amazing stunt. I'm in the yeah, minority. I, I don't have a problem with rent a cop. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is. They're good to get. No, cop and a half is a bridge too far. I, I, I can't get on board with that. <laughs> Roger Ebert loved it famously. Yeah. Oh, that, one of the best uh, episodes of Siskel and Ebert is when they're actually arguing over that. Yeah. <laughs> that is so like, funny. Yeah. Siskel says, oh, where's your where's your hat, Santa? Or whatever. Because <laughs> you're being awful generous to this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and don't forget Malone. That was another one that came out. Malone, I love Malone. I yep. love Malone. <laughs> I will watch that. I mean, it, it's a movie that's been told so many times. I mean, it's of a certain genre. I mean, hell, it could be it, Malone and Roadhouse are the same two movies essentially. But um, yeah. But I don't know. There's something irresistible about Malone and him walking in there with the strong, silent type trying to be, which he does in a lot of movies of that era, try, the Steve sure. McQueen kind of character. Yeah, I yeah. like that movie. What? Who was the villain in that? Was it Cliff Robertson? Uh, what? Yeah, Cliff Robertson. Well, uh, it was, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Who was yeah. the, Oh, Ben Gazzara was the villain in Roadhouse and Cliff Robertson mm-hmm. in the Malone movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The guy that yeah. runs the town and he's evil and you gotta. It takes an outsider to come in and vanquish <laughs> the town bully and that's great stuff. Well, maybe Kino will give us a Blu-ray release of Malone at some point. Let's oh, hope. that would be Let's... great. I'll do yeah, commentary so... on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, another one of your favorites. Uh, while we're on the subject, uh, before we before it leaves my mind, uh, Cobra's coming to 4K. Uh, oh. uh, I don't know if it's coming domestically, but I know what? there's a company in Europe that has signed an agreement with Warner Brothers, and they have licensed a bunch of their titles uh, to this company. And I can't remember the name of it, but it was a it was an announcement that came across my. My radar and Falling Down is another one that's going to be getting the 4K release. But Cobra was one, Falling Down, and there's a couple others, but they're Warner Brothers titles that obviously might be a little bit problematic for them now or something. I don't know, but uh, but yeah. Uh, but I would assume that at some point somebody will pick them up and do it, maybe like Shout Factory or something. Uh, but it is coming to 4K. So in America, yeah. there's a violent crime every 23 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and 450 rapes a day. It's almost like he got exhausted from reading that much dialogue, so at the end he's like, a day. It's like he's... <laughs> That's great. And our, our mutual friend Aaron, every time we talk about Cobra, which is such, which is my favorite bad movie is Cobra, mm-hmm. for those out there that don't know. Every time we talk about it, he's like, are those statistics at the beginning of the movie? Are those still, are those still accurate? I'm like, dude. I don't. I. I don't think they were probably accurate when it was written. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Well. Anyway, it is forthcoming to to be continued. I will keep keep everyone abreast when I hear more the, information. The highest grossing it. Warner Brothers week opening weekend in their history up to that point was Cobra. I don't doubt it. There was a lot of anticipation. I. Uh, I was one of those people. I. The trailers looked awesome. 
and then people actually uh, saw so it, for- and they. <laughs> Yeah, was, yeah, we kind of did, yeah. Yeah, but oh God, I yeah. love it. I wish I could see that. They need to bring that back on. Um, we need to go to a revival screening of that. Oh yeah, the new Beverly or something. I'm surprised that that hasn't, and I bet it will turn up at some point if it hasn't already. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, moving along from Heat. Oh, Heat has a, uh, uh, or not? Yeah, Heat has a commentary by uh, Brandon Bentley and Mike Leader, and an alternate ending. So there you go. Uh, Backtrack, starring, yeah, I know, right? That could be interesting. Um, Backtrack, which is uh, starring Dennis Hopper. It was originally placed like, what, 10 minutes into the movie? (laughs) 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 Okay, we're ready to end this. Okay, okay, Backtrack, what? Yeah, it's the Dennis Hopper film. He directs this, um, and he stars as well, and Jodie Foster does too. And he's basically a gangster who's assigned uh, the task of killing Jodie Foster because she witnessed a murder, and then he falls in love with her. He starts stalking her, which is, you know, <laughs> don't know how that would play with modern audiences. That's what happens. But eventually she, she finds him, uh, you know, she kind of falls for him as well, and so they, they try to figure out how they're going to do this without him getting killed by not carrying out his mission of killing her. So uh, anyway, uh, it has a very interesting cast. Uh, you've got, uh, obviously, Dennis Hopper, Jodie Foster, but you also have Dean Stockwell. Vincent Price is a mob boss in this film. Uh-huh. John Turturro, Fred Ward, uh, Bob Dylan, turns up. Uh, yeah, this uh, has uh, – the and uh, Joe Pesci, unbilled, but he's doing his uh, – and Tony Sirico, too, is in it. So, yeah, it's pretty, hey. pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing I love cast. these believable uh, movies. That's it's uh, Jody Jody Foster falling in love with Dennis Hopper. <laughs> right. She's nude in the film too. I was kind of surprised by that. I, some some uh, some nudity there. So uh, yeah, I was um it was a little you know and this this contains both the original theatrical version and the director's cut uh, because it was uh, cut I think pre-release. They didn't have a lot of faith in this film, but then uh, Hopper he. He caused a little bit of a fuss, and so they eventually issued his version. But I definitely – I didn't see the uh, the shortened version, but I definitely thought the the longer version is the one I watched. And it seemed, you know, probably to be the preferable And if version. anyone wants to watch the definitive Dennis Hopper documentary, that uh, that movie Along for the Ride is really good. Okay. There's a documentary on his life and legacy, Along for the Ride, and it's 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 really moving. It's very good. Ah, I have not gotten around to that, so I'm glad you uh, reminded me. So I'll have to make a note of that. Yeah, uh, so Bruce Campbell, starring in Terminal Invasion from 2002, and this uh, directed by Sean Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame. It's uh, about uh, extraterrestrial invasion. Uh, that's the Terminal Invasion of the... Film's title. You get a commentary here by Sean Cunningham and the producer Chuck Simon. And an alien costume uh, test. So, anyway. An alien <laughs> uh, test. So, the, those are your uh, Kino releases for the month of April. I think that covers all of them. So, uh, yeah. And we'll just go ahead and cover all the, uh, the criterion as well uh, while we're at it. And we have uh, the Oscar nominee for Best Picture, Triangle of Sadness. Uh, 
coming to disc. Uh, that was uh, one of their releases, and um, from director Ruben Osland. And this has a new interview with Osland and filmmaker and actor Johan Jonasson. Two new programs, one about the film special effects and one about a challenging day on set. Deleted scenes. Uh, this was a hit. In, <laughs> I know, right? Well, a challenging day on set. Um, this was a hit and miss film for me. I can't say I loved it, but, uh, you know, Triangle of Sadness, I, I thought it had its moments. Uh, it certainly starts out well, but it doesn't quite fulfill its promise. But there's definitely some, some, uh, some decent things in there. I didn't like it, so, but uh, the um, that lead girl died. Oh yeah, that young girl. Really weird. Yeah, she was yeah. in a car accident, and then she had some sort of a her spleen had been removed, and because of that, she developed an infection, and mm. it was really odd. Yeah. So yeah. Well, the other releases that we have from Criterion are The Fisher King getting a 4K up. Grade no new extras, just uh, same as the uh, Blu-ray release, just getting a 4K upgrade, nothing else. Seventh Seal, the Ingmar Bergman classic, getting a 4K upgrade as well. I don't think there are new, any new extras on this either. So if you have the Blu-ray, you you kind of know what you're getting with the, the extras. And we have the Steve McQueen five-film counter history of London's West Indian community, Small Axe. So that was originally, I think, made for. Amazon Prime, I believe, or something. And so uh, that has been issued with a few extras as well. So those are your Criterion releases for the month of uh, April. And let's see. We'll move along. Uh, Yeah, we had Star Trek The Next Generation, um, the film collection uh, featuring the Next Generation cast. You, it's a four-movie collection that has 4K upgrades of Generations, First Contact, Star Trek Insurrection, and Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, there's text commentary by Michael and Denise Okuda, a four-part featurette, Brett Spiner, Data and Beyond, uh, Industrial Light and Magic documentary, uh, Trek Roundtables, Library Computer, much more, it says as well. So uh, There's no alien anyway, test all- footage on that one. No, not not on the Star Trek uh, The Next Generation 4-movie collection. You would expect that it might, but no. But anyway, uh, if you are a Star Trek completist, this has been, uh, they have gotten the 4K upgrade. Um, Midnight Run has gotten a 4K upgrade from Shout Factory. It's previously been issued by them in the Blu-ray edition, and I don't think there are any new extras on this as well, just getting a 4K upgrade in the picture. So that's about it. And... We have Confess Fletch getting a physical release. It was released to Paramount Plus Streaming. It's the uh, latest, uh, uh, it's the uh, the attempt, rather, to reboot the Fletch franchise with John Hamm. I thought it was okay. I saw it. wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't a bad film. It was, I didn't uh, think it was bad at all. No, I mean uh-uh. I think it was a minor movie, but um, sure, yeah, but. Um, I laughed in it. I I I especially, I I especially I thought the accident prone neighbor in the kitchen. I thought that scene oh, was yeah. hysterical. <laughs> that was, yeah. Yeah, I uh... But it is weird because I'm sure it's probably more loyal to the book. I think I read one of the books when I was a kid, but I mm-hmm. don't remember much about it. I'm sure it's more loyal to the perception of Fletch in the book. But the thing that people love about the Chevy Chase movie is just his incredible sarcasm 
And that's something that Ham doesn't bring to it, which I, I guess that sarcasm isn't as dominant in the book's perception of the character. Maybe that's yeah. just something Chevy Chase brought to it. But it's missing a lot of the sarcasm of the Michael Ritchie movie, you know. The smart aleck, you know, it has some of that, but not not nearly not to as the much as right. Yeah, I was missing some of that for sure. Yeah, but you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, Chase is uh, too old to be doing that at this point. And if you're gonna, uh, you know, you're gonna reboot it, I guess John Hamm's about as much as you could hope for. I, no, mean, I like Ham, and if they wrote yeah, it sarcastic, Ham 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 could have delivered on that too. Absolutely, yeah, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got a couple of uh, Warner Brother uh, box sets celebrating the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. You have the 25 film collection. I just have to say, I just one. watched Fletch and I thought, confess Fletch, and I thought, who is this movie for? What is? What's the <laughs> audience for this movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of these uh, youngsters haven't even seen the original Fletch, so it's probably not even on their radar. So they would they wouldn't know. But uh, for those of us of a certain age, yeah. There are four uh, box sets with 25 films in each set. They're a Blu-ray set celebrating the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. Uh, they're called the Award Winners. The first one is Award Winners. And then the second one is Comedies, Dramas, and Musicals. And the third one is Thrillers, Sci-Fi, and Horror. And then you have uh, Fantasy, Action, and Adventure. These are just Blu-ray releases, uh, basically repackaging of previously issued Warner Brothers titles. But I guess you get a better deal price-wise by getting 25 of them bundled together. No 4Ks. Nope, no 4Ks on any of those. But... Do they have Warner a fifth Brothers box set coming up called Movies That Suck? <laughs> because not, not everything in our legacy is a winner. <laughs> This is true, like any studio. Yeah, there's always some stinkers. But uh, uh, the Devils is still conspicuously absent from uh, from that. But anyway, <laughs> are they, they going to do a big Exorcist or no? 4K or what? Yeah, supposedly, supposedly it's coming down the pike. So uh, you you would you would think. Uh, yeah, so we've got a couple of Warner Warner Brothers uh, proper titles that are getting a 4K upgrade this month. Uh, two of them. Cool Hand Luke is uh, three of them, rather. Cool Hand Luke is one of those. Uh, no new extras, just the uh, documentary, 30-minute documentary um, called Making Cool Hand Luke a Natural-Born World Shaker. That was from the 2008 Blu-ray, but the 4K looks quite good. I did get a chance to look at this. Love Cool Hand Luke. Huge fan. And, uh, you know, what more can you say? Just a great, great film, and it looks better than ever. In this new uh, 4K upgrade, and then you have the Maltese Falcon getting a 4K upgrade as well, and also uh, quite stunning as far as the transfer goes. And no new extras, just, uh, again, carryovers, including the commentary by Bogart biographer Eric Lax. And, you know, you get some of the stuff like classic cartoons and uh, Eric coming Lacks. attractions. Wow. Yeah, the Woody Allen guy. Yeah. He's written a bunch of I love the book he made on Woody Allen. Because that just consists yeah. of interviews, right? I mean, what at least one of them does. Yeah, he did a biography on him, too. And he did a recent one, which I have and have not read, uh, where he covers the production of a Woody Allen film from, from the scripting right. phase all the way through the final edit. And uh, I have that, I, and I want to read that soon. Cause I, love the, really I, I love the interview book because, I mean, they cover every Yeah, movie. I do, too. 
Oh yeah, I loved it. I, I read it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was quite quite good. You know, quite insightful. So anyway, uh, and we have ten classic cartoons uh, featuring Mickey Mouse, Mickey and Friends. Ten classic cartoons, nineteen thirty-five to fifty-two. So that has been issued. Envy has been issued. That's the um, uh, the Jack Black, Ben Stiller movie that did not get good reviews. Shout Factory has put that out uh, in a Blu-ray edition with a few new extras there. After Sun was a pretty well-reviewed movie from A24 that came out the tail end of the year. Uh, it's about a... Uh, a girl reflecting on the uh, holiday that she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagine fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. I've heard this is quite a moving film. I haven't gotten around to seeing it. One of my colleagues whose opinion I value told me that it, I, he thought I would really appreciate it. And so I do want to see this, but it is out uh, from A24 after Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did make a couple of... Uh, top uh, top ten list at the end of the year. I did see it crop up on a couple. So uh, anyway, we will move along here. Flashdance has gotten the 4K upgrade from Paramount. Um, it's no new extras. It's just the same stuff that you got on the Paramount Presents from a couple of years ago. But it really looks good. They've done a terrific job with the upgrade. And uh, there's the filmmaker focus director Adrian Lyon reflecting on Flashdance, the look of Flashdance, and releasing the Flashdance phenomenon. So that's what you get here with the extras. Uh, an early Jackie Chan film, uh, Heart of Dragon from 1985, that has been issued by Arrow Video with uh, commentaries and featurettes and all that, all the trimmings, as they say. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses from 2003 being reissued by Lion's Gate. Uh, it's just a Blu-ray 20th anniversary edition, no 4K. Uh, you do have a couple of Paramount catalog titles here coming out for the first time on Blu-ray. You got Bless the Child from 2000. That's with uh, Kim Basinger. And you got uh, Flashback from uh, 1990 with Kiefer Sutherland. So you've got those. Um, and... Let's see. Just want to make sure you have True Grit getting reissued from 2010, the uh, Coen Brothers remake. It's another Paramount uh, Paramount uh, release. And the SpongeBob SquarePants movie from 2004 getting a first-time Blu-ray release as well. And, uh, and then we move on, on to um, uh, Rebel Without a Cause was released on April 18th in a stunning new 4K presentation from Warner Brothers proper again. And it uh, really looks good. Again, no new extras here, but you do get all the archival stuff, the documentaries about uh, Rebel Battle Cause and James Dean Remembered and Dennis Hopper memories from the Warner lot. So Dennis Hopper is a uh, recurring theme on this show, I guess. Uh, And the trailer and lots of other things. So there you go. Uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance is another Warner Brothers uh, release. That's the third in the uh, Magic Mike series of films this one uh, with steven soderberg returning to the director's chair after sitting the last one out and i uh, have not gotten around to seeing it but uh, you know i enjoyed the first one well enough the second one not so much so i would be curious to uh to see what what's doing with this one and um we have the haunting of julia from 1977 based on the peter straub novel and starring mia farrow this is a cult horror film that's getting a 4K release from Scream Factory. 
Uh, and speaking of horror, uh, horror releases, Cocaine Bear from earlier in this year, Universal releasing that on Blu-ray only, not 4K. Uh, there's a new documentary on uh, the, um, I think it's the guy who created the, uh, the, did the makeup for Chuck for the Child's Play films or something called Living with Chucky. That's a new documentary on the, what it was like being uh, having somebody in your family who worked on the Chucky films. And, right? <laughs> Maybe they're stretching there with that one. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, but who knows? Maybe it's good. Marlo, the uh, the Liam Neeson, the recent Liam Neeson uh, attempt at uh, doing a, a Philip Marlowe film, uh, you know, that's getting a Blu-ray release yeah. from Universal as well. Don't walk into that movie thinking you're seeing a biography on Marlo Thomas. You're going to be so disappointed. <laughs> Yes. Up in Smoke is uh, getting a 40th anniversary uh, re-release with a some new packaging and uh, some new extras and whatnot. No 4K, though. This is the classic Cheech and Chong comedy from 1978. This is a Paramount release. So I uh, just wanted to put, throw that one out there. Now we're on to uh, April 25th which was uh, actually the uh, the last day of the last release day of the month. We'll go through these right quick. The Man Who Fell to Earth got a uh, 4K release and a new steel book. Uh, this was a Best Buy exclusive, I believe. The Lionsgate doing the releasing honors on this. And then you had uh, Police Story 3, Super Cop. That's, uh, again, that's another... Uh, that's coming out from that uh, came out from 88 films. It's uh, Jackie Chan, of course, and uh, we had um, oh, let's see, just a few other things here. Sorority House Massacre, one of those horror titles, coming out from Shout Factory from 1986. Two cuts of the film on this, and some other new extras uh, here and there. Lovers Lane is a horror film from 1999 that uh, stars uh, I think it uh, had Anna Ferris in her first starring role and it's basically a riff on the old uh, you know story about the guy with the hook who's terrorizing people yeah. in the town and you know that kind of thing and uh, you know kind of gets uh, mediocre reviews but I haven't seen it didn't get around to looking I did get a review copy but never got around to watching it but um, anyway some some new commentaries here and featurettes and I read a really good book on that, uh, the basis of the town of the dreaded sundown, that true story. Oh, really? What's, yeah. the, what's the name of the book? I gotta have that. I have it on the, uh, it's on my, my bookshelf goodness. over there. I'll look it up, but it's from somebody yeah. that grew, grew up there and spent years and years oh, and years researching I have it. That. And, yeah. uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it is, it's very good. And you know a lot of the stuff. Wow. In, a lot of stuff in that movie. I mean, it's taken from those real murders. Oh man, I know. I've told that story many times about how I was terrified. I went to the movies to. Uh, I think it was when I saw the Dino Renis King Kong in a theater, and they ran that trailer before King mm. Kong. And I remember seeing that trailer, and they and at the end of the trailer, there was some reference to the fact that he was never found. And I was terrified. I thought he could be outside the theater. He could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, like my dad told me old. that. Dad told me. My dad told me stories because he was in. He was raised in yeah. Arkansas. He was yeah. there. He was there at the time of those murders, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so that got me properly freaked out too. But the movie has the, that first movie has moments that are pretty terrifying, 
And Absolutely. Then yeah. it be, then becomes more of like a procedural with Ben Johnson and kind of a story mm-hmm. takes over. But I but I and I thought that the sequel uh as as whatever uh, as much as it was um try to take an inventive slant on it by incorporating by incorporating that movie. Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. I was surprised. I, I expected some cheap knockoff and I thought this is pretty good actually. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah, that was. I'd like to revisit that sequel. I haven't seen that since it came out. So uh yeah. Well, we have a couple of Warner Archive releases and we'll go over these real fast here and this will pretty much do it for us. We got Safe in Hell, which is a uh pre code melodrama with uh directed by William Wellman. It's about prostitution, I think. Oh. And it was advertised as being for mature audiences only. But yeah, it's um supposedly it's a pretty uh interesting little film about a woman forced into prostitution and accused of murder. So from like I said, from nineteen thirty one and there are no uh, yeah, there are a few extras here. There are short subjects, uh a couple of short subjects with there's one with Pat O'Brien and George Jessel and his art choir, classic Warner Brothers cartoon Dumb Patrol and um Wait a minute. You know, trailer. There's a cartoon with the prostitution movie? It's on the same disc yeah. or was it separate? Yeah, it's on the same disc because they're trying to replicate what a night at the movies would have been for if you had gone in 1931. So uh, there Oof. definitely would have been a cartoon before the film. So that's the way they did it back then. So crazy as it may sound. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about Ronald Reagan in a film about the uh, KKK? Uh, from 1951, <laughs> you have uh, Storm Warning with Ginger Rogers, Ronald Reagan, Doris Day, and Steve Cochran. And, uh, yeah, it's about a little town – that uh, is infiltrated by the KKK. And uh, Ronald Reagan is a crusading DA who's going to try to bring some justice there. Uh, classic short subject also included on this one, uh, One Who Came Back and a Warner Brothers cartoon, Bunny Hugged. But again, this is 1951, uh, Storm Warning. And that's, uh, let's see who directed that, was directed by Stuart Heisler. Uh, James Cagney and Olivia de Havilland in Strawberry Blonde, also starring Rita Hayworth. And this is, uh, it's, uh, a comedy, I think, uh, yeah. Uh, about a, uh, correspondent school dentist on the rebound after the Strawberry Blonde that he fancies. What's the movie where, Cag- a- where Cagney smashes the grapefruit in the woman's face? Well, it's the, uh, Public Enemy. Okay. Yeah. Well, the strawberry blonde, his ex-girlfriend basically elopes with somebody, and so he has a hard time dealing with that. But anyway, uh, this is, uh, does have a couple of vintage radio broadcasts and classic Warner Brothers cartoon, Tortoise Beats the Hare, and short, uh, subject, short polo with the stars and theatrical trailers. So there you go. And a couple other Warner Archive releases, One Way Passage, starring William Powell and Kay Francis from 1932. And, um, Let's see, that might be, and uh, oh yeah, one more James Cagney film, A Lion is in the Streets from 1953. So Warner Archive kind of busy, this is A Lion is in the Streets, is uh, directed by Raoul Walsh. Mm. And uh, yeah, so uh, uh, not sure about the plot on this one, but yeah, a few short subjects on this one as well. 
So, uh, yeah, got got those. And then uh, we'll close things out with one more here. We have a uh, – this is from Film Movement. And uh, there was the uh, Joseph Sarno who uh, did psychosexual erotic dramas for uh, popular – for mainstream audiences, basically, uh, in uh, mainstream theaters in the 60s. And two of his films are included in this uh, new set um, – and it's called the Joseph W. Sarno Retrospect Series, and it includes two of his films, Moonlighting Wives and The Naked Fog. And there's a new commentary here with uh, film historian Tim Lucas and a 2006 interview with Joe Sarno and the uh, cinematographer Jerry Kellogarados. Photograph those. And, uh, oh, no, and I just uh, no cartoons realized that's right. No cartoons on those. No, no, no. And one more. I almost forgot this one. Uh, this was a Cohen film release of uh, Up, Down, and Fragile, a film by Jacques Rivette, inspired by the backstage Hollywood musicals of the 30s. Uh, this later period, Rivette recounts the adventures of three young women, each at a turning point in their lives and with a musical number or two. It features an audio commentary track by... Uh, uh, Director Emeritus, New York Film Festival, and Professor of Film and Media Studies, Columbia University, Richard Pina, and the re-release trailer. So Up, Down, and Fragile from 1994. It's a Cohen Media release, and uh, I think that pretty well covers all of the, uh, the Blu-ray releases for the month of April, as far as I can tell.